I simply want to speak to you for a few moments on this subject tonight. God's promises to those who will go. God's promises to those who will go. We spent a lot of time this week talking about giving, praying, supporting. But I want you to know that we need to focus now on people going. There's not enough laborers in the harvest field. And, and the harvest is white. It's urgent that we get there. And I want you also to know that if God is going to find people to go, he's, he's not going to go to a church that has a praise concert and it's all about focusing on making me feel better about me. And there's very little concern about a lost world, if any. He's not going to go to a place where it's high church and it's all about liturgy and symbols and ceremony. If, if God's going to find somebody that he can separate and send to a foreign field, he, he's going to come to churches exactly like Lakewood Baptist Church. Because in Lakewood Baptist Church, we've been focusing all week on a lost world and how to reach that world. So obviously, if God is going to find someone I would suggest that this is a good place for God to begin to stir the heart and to find that one or that family, whether they be a young single, a young family, a middle-aged family. I don't know what the limit on when we can serve God is, but I think it's all of our lives. <laughs> and so let God just speak to our hearts tonight about our willingness to go. Notice with me, Matthew chapter 28. We always start there, don't we? Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read what we know to be the Great Commission, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. Thank you so much for these families that we've got to know, some of them, uh, a second time. We've been in conferences with them, and we just enjoy them, and we appreciate them. And I pray your richest blessing on them. May they finish their deputation. May they be able to get to the countries that you've called them to. I pray for the Knickerbockers. I pray especially for the political situation there that it would allow them to return. And God, we just pray your blessing on them. But now we, we focus on others whom you could use in such a marvelous way. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir in their heart and that, Lord, they would sense that you are separating them to go. And as they sense that, may they also see from the scriptures that your hand will be upon them, that there are promises to them that I believe God will soothe their heart and encourage them to go. So help us to see truth. We're needy. We ask your spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever we come to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, 20, we always notice all power is given unto the Lord in heaven and in earth. And we always notice the go ye therefore. We emphasize that. We certainly emphasize that we are to go and make disciples and we're to baptize 
the converts that we make, and then we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us. And, and that's a life, I think, a lifetime process that requires a local church to be planted. That's why we're church planters, because you can't teach something uh, or everything that Christ commanded in just a day, a week, or even a month or a year. It's, it's a lifetime process, and we need local churches. But what we don't often notice is what verses 16 and 17 say. Notice them. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What were they doubting? Were they doubting the resurrection? Of course not. Jesus had proven by many signs and in many ways that it was him. He had been dead, but as we celebrate on this Easter Sunday, a resurrection Sunday, he is no longer dead. He has come out of the tomb and he is alive. And these disciples have touched him. They have dined with him. They have heard him preach and speak and teach no, they are not doubting, is this the resurrected Lord? What they are doubting, if we'll understand it, is they are wavering. And they are wavering because they have a sense. He's been talking about leaving. He started talking about leaving sometime before his death, before the crucifixion. And then marvelously, he is restored to them, and it's a wonderful thing. But he hasn't stopped talking about his leaving and, and sending a comforter. And they sense in this moment something big may be afoot. And so as they see Jesus approaching them, of course they worship him, and of course they believe he is the risen Lord. But in their hearts is this sense. Can we do this without him? Can we do what he has called us to do? Can, can we hear the commission? Can we understand the responsibility of our lives? We have spent years ministering in his presence and him ministering to us. We have seen what he can do and we have confidence when we are in his presence to do what he wants us to do. But can we do this without him? And in response to their wavering, I love it, this promise goes out, I am with you always. Can I say to you that one of the greatest blessings that we have in our lives is the presence of the Spirit of God at all times. And for every person, every family that God has ever called to a mission field, God's promise to you is you do not go by yourself. I am told that one of the greatest stresses on the mission field is the sense of being alone. The sense of loneliness, isolation. Hey, we have understood even through this pandemic that isolation is a terrible force. And when a person and a family and their children go to a mission field and they feel that overwhelming weight of loneliness, 
It is a difficult thing. And God says to them, not at one point, not one day, not one time, are you out of my presence? Are you out of my care? Are you out of my sight? I never went to a foreign field, but God did call me to plant a church. And I don't know about you, but there have been some moments in my life that that I call just personal moments with Jesus. That means I got rebuked, okay? I can remember when we started Heritage, it was awesome at the beginning because all the people from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania came down, sometimes 25 and 30 at a time, and we would knock doors and knock doors and knock doors, and after we knocked doors, we'd uh, compare notes and we'd uh, talk about contacts and we'd have fellowship together, and it was awesome. But you know, the people from Pittsburgh couldn't keep coming down. And so eventually my mother and dad came over. They had been uh, saved a few years before. And they came over and watched the kids while Nancy and I went door knocking. And we knocked doors every single day trying to lead people to Christ. But eventually mother and dad had to go home. And we had three children. And uh, we just weren't comfortable with locking them in the backyard and saying, don't leave. And so Nancy had to stay home and and often I found myself out on the streets of Woodbridge and there in the D.C. area. I don't know if you've ever been there, but on a July day, it's about 98 with a, a humidity level of about 300,000. And I'm sweating and I'm, I'm just, it's not productive. I'm going to the door and I'm hoping that I can make contact with somebody and, and just say, hey, can we come back tonight can I bring somebody with me? Can we meet with your husband and you when he's home? And, and just time after time, you begin to realize as you're door knocking that nobody wants your message. And though you know you are God's gift to Woodbridge, Virginia, they have not recognized it yet. And I can remember coming back from a door after just being so rudely spoken to and saying to myself, you ever have a pity party? You ever sing to yourself, nobody knows the trouble I've seen? Man, I was singing it. And I was just thinking, man, does anybody care that I'm out here trying to do a work for God? Does anybody even remember that we're here? The offerings weren't coming in. I mean, it was just a difficult time. And, and in one of those moments, I'm just telling you, the Spirit of God stopped me on that sidewalk and said, stop it. You've not written one sermon by yourself. You've not gone to one door by yourself. You've not had one service by yourself. I have been with you. I know where you are. I know what you need. And I know how to get you where I'm taking you. And you know what? That may not be meaningful. It, it may not... It may not crash you into your heart and say, wow, how important that is. But I'm telling you, when, when you're in a foreign country, no family, nobody cares that you're there. And sometimes you can get to feeling so lonely, so isolated, and God can speak into your heart, I am present. Hey, notice this one. Let's go up to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. 
Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." Now, when I read this passage and I'm preaching this, I make every pastor nervous because they're thinking, whoa, I know he's from the South, but is he a Pentecostal? I have, I rightly divide the word. I have my theology straight. I am not preaching to you that the sign gifts are in effect for our day. They were. There was a time when they were used to authenticate uh, the Word of God and the Messenger of God. We have the completed Word of God. By the way, we have the preserved completed Word of God, and we no longer need the signed gifts. That is not my emphasis for this passage. But here is my emphasis. There was a time when the Apostle Paul, and I don't think he ever received swim lessons as a child. And there was a time that God had him on a ship and, and God had him in a storm, and that ship was shipwrecked, and the Apostle Paul was in the sea, in the ocean, and thank God for a piece of wood or whatever came by, and he made it to land, and when he got to land safely, oh, he's freezing, and so he gathers wood to make a fire, and out of that fire comes a serpent, and a serpent bites him on the arm, and they all stand around waiting to see him swell up and die, but he doesn't swell up and die. And you say, preacher, what is your point? My point is this. God protects his people wherever they are in his will. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I've heard of tragedies on the mission field. So have I. My friend, those are in God's allowing will. And I am saying this to you, that God is able to protect us where we are doing what he has us doing in his will. And if we are somehow harmed or harm comes to us, it is what God allowed into our lives. And I'm saying this, that your child, because more and more I see children being dissuaded from considering serving the Lord with their lives. We've come to the place where we want our children it, it, down the street or across town with a comfortable job, living in a comfortable place so that we can enjoy our grandchildren. And I'm just saying that a, a, a family and your child is safer in a mud hut eating monkey meat in the center of the will of God than they are in a comfortable home in a comfortable sub suburb out of the will of God. And so I urge all of you and myself included to encourage our children and our grandchildren, listen, if God wants you to go to the largest Muslim nation on the earth, it's okay to go. It's okay to go. God knows where you are. 
God knows how to protect you. If God wants you to go to where they are experiencing or have experienced terrorist threats, it's okay to go. God knows where you're going. Of course, we exercise discernment. If God is urging you to go where there are snakes. Oh, I hate snakes, do you? Almost as much as I hate snakes, I hate big bugs. You will be blessed. Both of you will be blessed with those. <laughs> Don't go. No, I mean, <laughs> God knows and God is able to protect. One of my favorite missionary biographies is a book uh, simply entitled Evidence Not Seen, and it's about a, a, a lady, Darlene Diebler Rose. And uh, if I don't tell this story exactly right, it's my illustration, tell me later. But Darlene and her husband were missionaries, Papua New Guinea, at the beginning of World War II. And of course, they're captured by the Japanese, they're separated, and her husband dies in a concentration camp, a work camp. She is put to work and, and uh, savagely treated, poorly treated. But of value because they're doing work for the Japanese army. And her prized possession is just a piece of the scripture, a small scripture. Every, as the war progresses, the American bombers are coming over Papua New Guinea and they can't always recognize which camp is the camp to bomb and sometimes the work camp where these American workers are kept are, is being bombed and, and Darlene Diebler Rose tells of the time where uh, they, were, they were ordered to go get in the bomb uh, ditches, the, the bomb proof places and, and as she went there and got in that ditch she remembered that she had left that scripture in her bunk and so not Fearing, fearing more losing the Bible than the severe beating she might receive, she gets up and runs back into that barracks, finds her scripture and runs back out only to see where she had laid is now a smoking crater from a direct bomb hit. You say, preacher, what's your point? God knows where you are. God knows what you need. And he knows how to protect you. And again, for us, maybe that's just dramatic, maybe melodramatic. But when you're putting your child to sleep in a place where you've got real legitimate fears, God says, would you remember my promises that I am able to protect you? Let's go quickly to number three. Turn over with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Let me unpack that just a little bit, because sometimes whenever we read endued with power from on high, 
we, we get some notion of mighty strength, and certainly it is mighty strength, but I want you to put it in the context of this, that what they are receiving is the gift of the Holy Spirit. What they are receiving is to be empowered and to be enabled by the Holy Spirit. You may not realize this, but before the Holy Spirit came upon them in the city of Jerusalem, they were not able to speak thousands of languages. Peter was not trained in classic Greek. He wasn't trained in the language of the Parthians or the languages of Africa. He didn't have that ability. But what did come to his life was the empowering uh, Holy Spirit that then enabled them to do what they would have never been able to do without the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want to say to you, because all through my ministry, I have met people who disqualify themselves from ever serving the Lord, because like Moses, they might say, well, I can't preach, I can't talk, I can't this, I can't that. Ooh, be careful. That's exactly who God's looking for. The people who don't think they can do it without God. And God will bring to you, when God stirs your heart, God will bring the enablement to your life. I went to Bible college, and man, when I went to Bible college, when I first went there, I thought to myself, I'm kind of like D.L. Moody. And God's going to really use me in a special way because I'm, I really want to do this. You know what I found out when I got there? I was not D.L. Moody. In my second year there, I took a class called homiletics. It was a required class. And in homiletics, you learn how to outline and you learn how to put together a sermon. And, and I put together my first sermon. At the end of homiletics, you get the great privilege of preaching for seven minutes to your classmates. My sermon was the 13 points of the high priesthood of Jesus Christ as seen in the book of Hebrews. It was horrible. And I promise you what I'm going to tell you is true. A day later, my homiletics professor, Dr. Ron Walker, found me in a hallway and kind of slipped up and put his hand around my shoulder and he said, you know, Mike, there's a lot of ways to serve the Lord besides preaching. <laughs> I felt so encouraged. I, I told the Lord later that day, you know, I came here in the strength of my own flesh. And I, I came here thinking I had something to offer you. And, and obviously I misread what you were trying to tell me for my life. And you know, it was in that moment that I had another one of those meetings where the Lord simply said to me, got you where we want you now. Because it's never about what you bring to it. It's about what I bring to your life. I sat next to an old Texan in English class. What a horrible class. English class. And he was in his 40s. And he was a marvelous man. I mean a marvelous man. And uh, he had had no real schooling, no real learning. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, do you need a job? I said, I do, John. John Fall was his name. 
He said, you know, if you'll help me get through English, I'll give you a job. I've got a construction company. I said, Brother Paul, I don't know anything about construction. I mean, I don't know anything about construction. He looked back at me. He said, Brother Mike, I don't know anything about English. I don't know nothing about English. He said, well, you help me get through English. I'll help you, you know, feed your family. I said, well, John, I'll be glad to try to help. And I poured myself into him. And you know what? He got a D, but it was grace. Oh, and by the way, God called him to Taiwan and he learned Mandarin. How? How? You can't conjugate a verb, man. How? Because God is able. And when God calls, God enables. It's always been about what his spirit brings to us, not what we offer to him. Notice quickly John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Look at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. You know one of the greatest promises God makes to everyone who will go that he sends? The promise of his peace. I can't imagine, and I don't, I don't mean to be dramatic, and I don't also mean to be frightening, but over the years that I've pastored, 44 years, there have been some really difficult things happen on mission fields. And yet, in those times, God brings a peace that passes understanding. I look at the people that are going through it and I think to myself, how? And I'm reminded that God promises a peace. Imagine some night when a husband is away or some afternoon when he's across the town and the only way to get back is through roads that take hours to go a mile. And that child has a fever. And and they need to get some medical attention. They, get, they need to get some care. You know, those things do happen, right? Well, she'll fall apart. He'll fall apart. No, no. Because God's promise is, I can provide you a peace that will pass understanding. You, you won't know how you had that much grace. You won't know how you decided to make that and do that. But God's promise is, in, in the midst, I will watch over you and I'll provide a peace for you. And nobody looking at it will know quite how in the world that happened. And the only explanation is God. One last one and I'll be done. One more time to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. 
I'll tell you, a missions conference, you're going to wear out Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, aren't you? But you know what? There's so much in them and so many ways to say it. I want to just say one last thing and then I'm done. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. There it is again. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I, I just simply want to tell you that I understand this power. Again, it comes after the Holy Spirit. You don't have it before you have the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you don't have it if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. But if you are controlled by the Spirit, you can go to Jerusalem and be a witness. You can go to Judea and be a witness. You can go to Samaria and be a witness. And you can go to the uttermost parts of the earth and be a witness. And here it is. And see people respond to it. How in the world is this skinny kid? <laughs> I love you, Brother Midka. I love everything about you, but you're thin and I don't like that. No. How is that kid going to go to Indonesia and learn a language and preach to Muslims and see Muslims get saved? Well, he's not. But the answer is the influence of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He doesn't have to devise a way. You don't have to devise a way to win those in Guyana. You don't have to figure out a method for Zambia. Of course you have to study the culture. Of course you have to understand the people. But what has been moving the hearts of people for thousands of years has been the word of God applied by the spirit of God as you witness the truth to them. And it is God's influence that saves and God's influence that changes people's hearts and changes cities and changes cultures. And it is God that goes before us. And God says, I promise you this, you go you go controlled by my spirit. You go controlled by my spirit preaching my word. And we will make an impact in places that nobody thought we could. Hey, God will go with you. Not only will God go with you, God will protect you. And God will gift you with what you need to minister in that place. And in those difficult moments, and there will be some, God will speak peace into your life and you will order it and understand it and it'll be beyond understanding, but you'll have it. And God will influence and you will see a church built and lives changed, souls saved. All because God says, if you'll go, if you'll respond to my call, here's the promises that go with you. God bless you. Let's pray.